If you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 26. Genesis chapter 19 and verses 1 through 26. I was going to try to get through the whole chapter today, but it was just, it was just too much stuff in it. So we'll, we'll cover the rest of it next week. Genesis 19, 1 through 26. And the title is A Worldly Believer. A Worldly uh, Believer. Now, as most of you know by now, when you go through, we're going through Genesis, started in chapter 1 way back in January, um, and we, we covered chapters 1 through 11, which is really about the origins of the universe, origins of life, origins of marriage, origins of just about everything. Um, and then we get to chapters 12 through 25, and chapters 12 through 25 really slows down, and it's all about, for the most part, Abraham. Uh, it's the story of Abraham and, and God's plan and how Abraham is a part of that plan. But woven throughout the story or out throughout these chapters is also the story of another man uh, by the name of Lot who is, who is Abraham's uh, nephew. Now, we've been covering this, you know, since chapter 12 and we've seen Lot uh, get into some trouble and Abraham have to rescue him and Ab- uh, Lot has... You know, when he had a choice of choosing, he chose always chose the best. He went down to live in Sodom. Uh, he's made some bad choices, and you have to ask this question. Is Lot saved? Is Lot a believer? We know Abraham is, but what about, what about Lot? Now, to be honest with you, if all you had to go on was Genesis, my answer would be no, he's not. He always makes bad choices. He always tends to align himself with the world instead of with, 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 with his uncle. And it looks like he's not a, a believer. But the Bible says otherwise. You see, if you get to the New Testament and you read Second Peter 2, 7 and 8, it says this, And if he, talking about God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked... For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So three times in that, in those two verses, Lot is called righteous. Okay? So again, if all we had was Genesis to go on, we'd say, no, he's not a believer at all. But the New Testament says, yes, he was. Calls him a, a righteous man. Now, so, so we know now, according to the New Testament, that he was a, a believer. He's living in this city. There's all kind of stuff going on, and his conscience is, is bothering him. He knows it's wrong, but yet, for whatever reason, he will not move a, away from it. Now, knowing this makes this 19th chapter even more tragic. Not only does it involve the destruction of a city and the loss of life, but now we see it in, actually involves the downfall of a saint. Do you remember back in, in chapter 12, Lot leaves uh, uh, Haram or he leaves, uh, um, uh, he leaves with his uncle. And we jumped ahead to one of the chapters and he's living in a cave committing incest with his daughters. Y'all remember that? And we said, how do you go from here to here? How, do, how does somebody go downhill like that and come to the point where they're living in a cave committing incest with your own children, well, we're going to find out. But yet the Bible says he was a believer. So this is a, this is a, uh, it just, it makes, again, chapter 19 even more tragic because we're watching 
the downfall of a saint. We're watching the downfall of a, of a righteous man. So it turns out, by the way, this is a very practical chapter for you and I. Because it gives us opportunities to learn from Lot's mistakes. Let, let's be honest real quickly. I'm afraid the church today is filled with a lot more Lot's than it is Abraham's. And if you and I are honest and, you, and we put ourselves on a scale, we might tend to say we're a lot closer to Lot than we are to Abraham. So, so when we come to this thing about Lot, we should perk up and pay attention. Because Lot was a worldly believer and it cost him dearly in his life. And if you and I are living in the world, if we are worldly believers, payday is coming, just like it did with Lot. So we can learn from Lot, we can learn from Scripture and get things straightened out, or we can just let things play out and learn from, uh, what, what's the old adage, uh, bought experience is the best experience, right? I mean, you can either learn from the Bible or you can learn in your own life. But if you play in the world and you, you, you get kind of encumbered by the world, payday is coming. And as we'll see that with, with Lot. Let's start in verses 1 through 3. So it says this, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Let's stop right there. You remember last week in verse chapter 18, uh, the Lord and two angels come down to visit Abraham, right? And um, they, they're going basically to destroy the city. So God, the Lord stays with Abraham. He's there in the form of a man. And the two angels leave and go down towards Sodom. And we pick up that story in chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can rise up early and go your way. And they said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him, and they entered his house and he made them a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, and they, and they ate. Now, the parallel with Abraham's hospitality in chapter 18 is, is purposeful here. You remember the three men come to Abraham, and Abraham goes out of his way to show them hospitality. Well, these two angels come into the city of Sodom, and once again, Lot goes out of his way to show them hospitality. Now this is, above anything else that's going to happen, this shows how different Lot was than the other people in the, in the city. Now, in any other city, sleeping in the town square would not be a big deal. A lot of travelers would come through, they'd come inside the walls, the gates would be shut at night, and they'd sleep in the town square, and they know they would be, be safe. But Lot will not let them do that. Because he knows what can happen. He knows the type of people that live in the neighborhoods. He knows the type of people that live in this city. So he strongly compels them, strongly, almost makes them come to his house because he knows what can happen if they sleep in the square. Now, in that day and age, when you brought somebody into your house, you afforded them protection. By the way, this is, I've read some stories over in Afghanistan. Even today, this is still true. Once somebody comes under your house, they are protected. So you, you cannot mess with them. Even if they're your, your worst enemy, if, they, if your neighbor brings them into their house, they're under the protection of the neighbor. So you cannot touch them. That was true back then. Culturally, this was a very strong thing. 
You just did not touch somebody that was under the protection of their neighbor. So Lot, I'm sure, thought, man, once I bring them into my house, they'll be safe because you just can't touch them. That's just a cultural thing back then that you cannot do. Let's pick it up in verses 4 through 5. But before they lay down to sleep, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. So in a very short time, the word goes out. There's two strangers that have come into the city, and they're in Lot's house. And it says, Every man in the city, both young men and old men, surround Lot's house, and they say, Bring them out so that we can know them. In other words, we want to have sex with them. That's basically what it means in the, in the Old Testament language. So this is, not, this is not going to San Francisco where you've got some broad-minded, tolerance-oriented culture where everybody can do what they want to do between consulting adults in private. That's not what this is all. This is homosexual rape. This is as bad as it gets. You've got two strangers, two visitors that have come into the city, and the men come to the house and says, bring them out so we can rape them. I mean, this is as, as absolutely as bad as it... I mean, imagine an entire city. Now, obviously, we're not talking New York City or Tallahassee even. We're probably talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of people in this city. But every man in the city, young and old, not just some, not just one or two, but every single one, surround the house and says, bring them out so that, so that we could... I mean, literally driven by one thing, and that is lust. Okay? And by the way, you wonder why Sodom had to be destroyed? Is there any, is there, listen, there's no, this is where sin goes when you just let it go. When God pulls his hand back and doesn't restrain things, this is where it goes. It's not enough to be tolerant. It's not, it gets to the point where people are just driven by their lust. Give me what I want. I don't care what society says. I don't care what God says. I don't care what morals are. I just need to fulfill my lust. This is where that city had come to. And that's why it had to be destroyed. Verses 6 through 8. So Lot goes out to the men at the entrance and he shut the door behind him. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with these verses. (laughs) First thing is he calls them brothers. I beg you, my brothers. They're not your brothers, man, right? Don't call them that. I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my my roof. Now, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Uh, a little bit more in detail a little bit later. Let's look at verse 9. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow, talking about Lot, came here to sojourn, or he was only passing through, and now he has become our judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot, and they drew near to break the door down. Now listen, you may have, listen, Lot has been living in this city for 20 years, okay? He's been in this city now for for 20 years. And you might think, well, why haven't they messed with him up to this point? Why have they left him long? Well, one of the reasons they probably left as long is because they know who his uncle is. Do you remember uh, 15 or 20 years, about 15 years earlier, 
the, the, the kings of the east have come and taken the city hostage, right? They take everybody hostage, and who goes after them? Abraham, and he, he deals with it, and he recovers all the people and all the stuff. So they know who Abraham is. They know who Lot's uncle is. So one of the reasons they probably left him alone for this long is because they don't want to cross his uncle, because they know if they do something to him, his uncle is coming. But on this night, they are so driven by their lust, and he's finally, for whatever reason, he finally speaks out against their wickedness, and now their anger, they, they not only have they forgot about any uh, cultural sense of this man is under the protection of, of Lot's house, they forgot about that, they forgot about any morals, they forgot about any laws, they forgot about who his uncle is, they don't care, they just want one thing. Give it to us, okay? And now when he speaks against that, they are their anger turns on him. Verses 10 and 11. But the men reached out their hands and they brought Lot in. And this is talking about the two angels. They reached out their hands and they brought Lot into the house with them and they shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out groping for the door. Now, there's something else to be said right here. Notice they will not stop. Even when they're struck blind, they're still trying to get in. That's how driven with lust they are. They, they can't. I mean, they're struck blind. You think, well, let me find my way back home. No, let me get in the door. I'm still going after what I want. This is how, this is how depraved, how fallen, how, how at the end of the line they, they were. Now, let's talk a little bit here about the sin of Sodom. Sodom in the Bible is a picture of the world without God, okay? Now, on one level, it is an ugly, ugly, ugly picture. In fact, it is a repulsive picture. It's a safe where, a city where it's not safe to be on the streets. It's a city where young men and old men are just living basically for one thing, and that is to satisfy their lust. But on another level, Sodom has its attractive side. Sodom is a rich city. Sodom is a prosperous city. In Ezekiel 16.49, he says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, they had excess of food, and they had prosperous ease. This was a prosperous city. This was a proud city. This was a, they had plenty of food. They had, I mean, they, they didn't, I mean, it was a, it was a very attractive place to live. So on one side, it's ugly and repulsive, but on the other side, it's got this attractive quality to it. Now, it, you and I, if we think about it, we understand that because that's how our society is. See, the fact is, on one side, you look at society and you look at culture and it's ugly and it's repulsive and it's just nasty. But on the other hand, it's, it's attractive. It, it, it pulls us, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. See, we, we know the world is under judgment. We know the world is corrupt. We know it's ugly and repulsive. But the fact is, it still has its appeals. This is what the Apostle John warned us about in 1 John two fifteen through 17 He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, that's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires but whoever does the will of God... See, John says he knows it. It's got desires of our eyes, desires of the flesh, the pride of life. There's certain things that we look at and we're attracted to it. And he says, don't, don't, be, don't be fooled by that. Remember what's underneath. But Sodom, beyond just being a picture of the world, 
it not only indulged in evil, <coughs> the Bible tells us it openly encouraged it. Isaiah 3.9 says this, For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. So the other thing about Sodom is it had got to the point it's an attractive city, a rich city, a prosperous city, but it got to the point where they didn't try to hide their sin anymore. In fact, they proclaimed it. Look at us. Look how tolerant we are. Look how progressive we are. Look, look how forward-thinking we are. We're not held back by this old thing called the Bible. We're not held back by all this old stuff. That Look at us. We're progressive. They, they proclaim it. They revel in it. They actually take their sin and put it up as a good thing. That's what, that's what Isaiah said. You see, when a, when a society is openly flaunting sin, what it tells you is they're moving closer and closer to being thoroughly corrupt throughout. Especially when it openly accepts and practices homosexuality, it's a sign that God has pulled His hand back. And you can go if you want to. I won't read it today, but go read Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. That's exactly what it says. God gave them over. Okay, if that's what you want, here, take it. I'm, I'm, I'm backing off. And that's what had happened in Sodom. God had pulled his hand back, and their lust had just grown and grown and grown until it was absolutely uncontrollable anymore. As I said earlier, notice, even when he struck them blind, even when they were struck blind. That should have been a warning, right? Oh, man, something's going on here. Maybe I need to back off. No. They were so driven by their lust that they just keep stupidly persisting in their sin, even when they're struck blind. No, no thought of God, no thought of repentance, no thought of anything. Okay, when it gets to that point, it's over. It's done. There, there is no turning back. And, and we can see that here. Now, Lot is going to make one last stand. So let's see what happens, verses 12 through 14. Then the men <coughs> excuse me, said to Lot, this is the angels again, Have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughter. By the way, in the, in the Jewish tradition, once you were engaged, you were considered literally married. Even though they're not married yet, they're already considered son-in-laws. Okay? That's, remember Joseph and Mary, when Joseph finds out Mary, is, they're, not, they're not married yet, right? But he's going to put her away with a certificate of divorce even though they're not married. Why? Because in that culture, once you're engaged, once you're betrothed, you're considered to be married. So that's why they're called son-in-laws, even though they're not married yet. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be joking. Now, there's, a, there's something there to be said. We're going we're gonna to go back and talk about a few of these things. He comes to his son-in-laws. He said, look, this city is about to be destroyed. And they, they said, are you joking? Are, are you joking? Why would, they not, why would they not believe him? So morning comes, dawn breaks without a single convert. The men of the city have been struck blind, but they won't repent. The son-in-laws have been warned. They just think he's joking. Not one righteous soul 
would flee the wrath of God. Time is completely up. Look at verses 15 to 22. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Run or escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. What is wrong with this guy? Listen, has there ever been anybody in history that tried harder not to be saved than this guy? I mean, they're going to destroy the city, but he lingers. They literally had to grab him by the arm and pull him out of the city. He didn't want to go. And then when they finally tell him what you need to do to get him out of the city, he says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait one minute. See, the, the, I, I don't understand Lot. I'm really having trouble kind of grasping this guy because the, the unbelief of the men in the city, you can understand that, but what is wrong with this man? What is wrong with him? It, it almost defies belief what, he is, what he's doing. Now, why was he like this? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe he's not fully convinced Maybe there's some people in this room today, and we call ourselves believers, but are you really convinced 100% of the certainty of judgment that's coming? Are you really 100%, or are you kind of lingering back in the world? Maybe he wanted to stall for time in order to preserve some friends and family, or, or maybe he's so attached to this present world, to his house and his possessions and his position in the city. Maybe he's so attached that he just cannot bear the thought of leaving it. But whatever reason, he had to literally, they had to grab him by the arm and drag him out of the city. Verses 18 to 22. Let's pick that up again. And he said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I can't go to the hills lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, Here's a city over here that's near enough for me to flee to. It's just a little city. Let me escape there. Isn't it just a little one? Notice how he says that twice. It's just a little city. And my life will be saved. And the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also. I will not overthrow that city. I'll let you go into that city. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which in the Hebrew means little one, means little city. Now, I want you to notice real quickly, in chapter 18, we had an intercession of Abraham talking to the Lord, right? Remember that? And here in chapter 19, now we have the intercession of Lot. And I want you to notice the difference between those two. Abraham prays for the preservation of the cities of the valley. And he prays, he says, save them because of right, there's righteous people in those cities. He had, he had no selfish interest, right? Remember we talked about that last week? By the way, do you understand it would have benefited Lot for those cities to be destroyed? That would have been more land for him, less competition for him. It would have benefited Abraham for those cities to be destroyed. But he said, no, spare the cities. Spare them. If you find righteous people in those cities, please spare them. That was his intercession. Lot pleads for the preservation of Zoar, but why? So he could be saved. It had nothing to do with it. He didn't care about that city. He didn't care about the people in the city. He cared about one person. That's me. So he's praying, spare the city for me. And, and it was. And the angels spared 
the city. And then, of course, judgment comes. Verses 23 to 25. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. That's that little city. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of, of salt. The, the Hebrew there for look back doesn't mean she glanced. It's not what the Hebrew means. It literally means to regard, to, to consider, to pay attention to. In other words, when she turned, she's, she didn't just glance. She's, the idea here is, look what I left. The idea is, is, is a wanting to go back. The idea here is not just she just happened to glance back. Now, the scriptures don't say why she was turned into a pillar of salt. Was it a punishment for wanting her old life so much? Maybe. Was it simply that she disobeyed a direct command of the angels? Because they said, do not look back. Was it that? We don't know. But in the end, we do know what she chose to value in her heart led to her sin, which led to her death. The fact is, either one... She disobeyed, the, the, she disobeyed that command, and she looked back. I mean, obviously, using this word, she's, she's longing for that life that she left. For whatever reason, she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, by the way, the Bible isn't clear what exactly happened to her. You, any, any of y'all have ever seen pictures on the Internet of Pompeii? You remember the... Uh, the um, uh, the, the volcano um, in Italy, the, I forget, the v- Mount Vesuvius, is that right? And you see the pictures and people are huddled together and they're covered with ash. Have y'all seen that? I mean, literally today you can see exactly what they look like when they die. Well, it could have been something like that. Because, by the way, it's not just these cities, it's the whole valley is destroyed. And so he says, don't stop in the valley. So it could have been that she, she stopped and stayed behind far enough that she was covered with this, whatever this stuff is, right? And it turned her in. So she dies, but it, she's covered with salt. It could be, it could be that. Um, but what's more interesting to me here is she's described as a pillar of salt. The Hebrew word for pillar refers to something that is set watch over something else, like a fort or a garrison that sits on a hill and overlooks an area. So this, you've got this idea of, her, of his wife is a pillar, and she's overlooking the valley of the area of the Dead Sea. By the way, you go to the Dead Sea area today, nothing grows. It is literally dead. You remember right there it said not only did it destroy the city, it destroyed everything that grew on the ground. And you go there today to that area and nothing grows. It is literally a dead area. And, and, and it's just a poignant, a poignant reminder for us, don't look back. Don't look back. I, I, I prayed with somebody out here yesterday in the new building, and, and when we prayed, we said, it, it, we got to finish well. Don't look back. I, I've seen more and more people now, they, they've, they've lived a good life and they've done good things, but as they get older, they, they start just, I don't know, something starts changing. Instead of finishing well, they're finishing bad. They're not finishing well. They're, they're looking back. Maybe they're looking back what I didn't do, what I did do, whatever reason. Jesus said, Lot's, uh, Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. That's the words of Jesus. Remember Lot's wife. Don't love the world. Don't look back and, and think, man, what I'm missing on, what I'm going to miss out on, or what I did miss out on. Finish well. Keep moving ahead. As Paul says, keep your eyes on 
the prize and finish well. Now, I've got about 15 minutes. I want to close with a warning for us, okay? You see, I'm afraid, I mentioned earlier that the church is probably filled with a lot more lots than it is Abraham's. And we, would you agree with that? There's a lot more lots in our churches than there is Abraham's. I'm afraid, afraid that much of a, many of our churchgoers have, have basically moved into Sodom. I think after you live in the world so long, you know, it's like being around the smell. You ever find anybody that smokes cigarettes a lot and, and they don't even smell it, but you can walk within 20 feet of them and you can smell it, right? If you don't, everybody with me? But they don't notice it because they're in it all the time. It's kind of like us in the world. If you stay in that world and you live in that world, you don't even notice the stench because you're so close to it. It doesn't repel you the way it used to. And I'm afraid much of the American church is living in the stench of the world. W.H. Griffith Thomas said this, A ship in the water is perfectly right, but water in the ship is perfectly wrong. The Christian in the world is right and necessary, but the world in the Christian is wrong and disastrous. we got to be in the world, but the world better not be in us. And I'm afraid too many Christians have got the world in them like Lot. And that's, like I said, payday is coming. Now, there are many marks of conformity to the world. But our text today reveals six marks of conformity. So what I want you to do this morning is test yourself. As, as we look at Lot and see very quickly how he conformed to the world, test yourself and ask, am I doing this? Okay? Because a lot of times we do it without even knowing it. Number one, Lot was living for the same goals as the world was. Lot was living for the same goals. I mentioned earlier, 20 years earlier, Lot separated from his uncle. And, and if you go back and read it, it says it moved, he moved his tent near Sodom. So he was living in a tent, but he got close to the city. And then a couple chapters later, you find out he's moved what? He's in the city. Not only is he in the city, notice he's sitting in the gate. What that probably means is he's on the city council. Because in that day, the leaders of the city would sit in the city gate. So he's actually probably not only, uh, uh, you know, I mean, he's done well in the city. He, he moved there to get ahead financially. He moved there because he thought he could prosper. He moved there for the same goals as everybody else. And as I said, he's done well. He's got a house. He's, he's probably got a seat on the city council. His goals in life are no different than the guy across the street that never that doesn't know the Lord. His goals in life are exactly the same. I want to get ahead financially. I want to prosper. I want to get stuff. I want to retire. Same goals as everybody else. That was one of the, the marks of conformity in his life. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says this, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, Desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I think each one of us needs to ask, how are my goals any different from my neighbor? How are my goals in, in life any different from the guy living across the street who doesn't know the, the Lord? You see, unbelievers always seek for material prosperity. But we are to do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all that other stuff will be added to you. Our priorities as Christians should be different. So check out your goals. Because if you live for the same goals as the world, eventually you will, you'll, you'll basically get the same corruption 
as the world. Number two, and I want you to listen very closely, Lot was expedient with his morals. Okay, The word expedient describes an action that is convenient and practical, although it might be improper or immoral. You see, you remember Lot brings them into his house, right? And he says to them, please, my brothers, don't act wickedly. He knows what they're doing is wrong. Don't do this thing that you're doing. It's wrong. So what does he do? Really, what he does next is unbelievable to me. They're saying, turn over those men. And he says, no, 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 that's a violation. I've protected those men. Culture says that that I have to protect these men. So what does he do? Take my daughters, rape them. See, he stands up for one immorality, but then he just turns around and says, no, do this other immorality. He, he tries to prevent one awful sin by just falling into another. See, that's what expedient means. It, it, making a decision that's practical, but yet it might be immoral. See, Lot's response, by the way, is typical of his spiritual state. It's a blend of courage and compromise. When you find Christians in the world... One day they'll stand up, and one day they won't. One day they'll show courage, and the next day they'll show compromise. See, he, he tries to stop them, but he compromises his own morals. That's not right what he was going to do. See, it's easy to have morals when the pressure's off. I'll never forget having some speakers at, at uh, River of Life in Sopchapa years ago. They worked in the abortion, in the anti-abortion movement for years, and they got out of it. They said they couldn't do it anymore. And, and the reason they couldn't do it, because they kept running into church people that were against abortion until it was their daughter that got pregnant. And all of a sudden, they weren't against it. See, that's what expe- being expedient with your morals is. You can, it's easy to be against something until it affects you. And then all of a sudden, you change your morals just a little bit. It's easy to be against homosexuality until it's your son. Are you with me? See, that's what Lot was. He was expedient with his morals. What will you do when the pressure is turned up? You see, then it becomes easy to make excuses for something that was formerly wrong. You were just all against it until it's your child, until it's your husband, until it's your life. And then all of a sudden you find these excuses. That's being expedient with your morals. Be very, very careful. Because if you change your morals to adapt to the world or adapt to the situation, you're just conforming to the world. Because, by the way, it's exactly what the world does. They just change their morals day to day, week to week, year to year, just to adapt. If the world says this is okay, okay, well, this must be okay. they're They're just like a wave that's just driven by the wind here and there. It's called, the Bible calls it being double minded. Believe in this today, believe in that tomorrow. That's how Lot was. Number three, Lot was more concerned with his social status than he was with his own family. As I mentioned, in that day, it was a, we don't understand this whole thing about bringing people into our house and protecting them. It's not part of our culture. But in the Middle Eastern culture, and especially back then, that was a big deal. I mean, that was a very big deal. When you brought somebody into your house, to let something happen to them would be disastrous for your social status. Everybody, from that day on, you'd be that guy. You'd be that guy that lets somebody, something happen to people that came into your house. So Lot is willing to sacrifice his daughters than to sacrifice that social status. 
He's going to protect them people at all costs, even if it meant giving his own virgin daughters to be, to be raped. Now, I doubt very seriously you'd find any Christians today that would admit, oh, I would never do something like that. But yet, how many Christians today do things at the expense of their own families? How many Christian men work long hours and do things at the expense of raising their sons and raising their children the way they should do it? They would never say, oh, I would throw them out the door. No, but they'll do things at the expense of their own family. That is conforming to the world. Why do we do it? Because we buy into what society says is important. You got to be financially stable. You got to be this. You got to be successful. And all of this, what, this is what success means. If you buy into that, you're conforming to the world. Don't, don't, don't listen to what that says. Listen to what Scripture says is important. Number four, Lot was not respected by the world for his beliefs. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Lot goes to his son-in-laws and he says, Judgment's coming and they laugh at him. They thought he was joking. Now, why didn't they take him seriously? Ask that question. Why would they not take Lot seriously? Listen, it doesn't say they didn't believe him. It doesn't say that. It says they thought he was a joking. See, they didn't even take him seriously. To me, there's only one explanation for that. And that is, he's never mentioned his faith to him before. See, it isn't that Lot, for 20 years, has been preaching in the city, standing on, the, you know, standing on his soapbox in the town square saying, judgment is coming. He's not been doing that. He's, he, his son-in-laws have met his daughters. They, he, they've become betrothed to them, engaged to them. And so when he comes to them that night and he says judgment is coming, his words are not a repetition of something he's been repeating for years. It's something brand new. And they look at him like he's joking. They don't take him seriously. If that's true, what a rebuke to his life. What a rebuke to his testimony. You see, it's one thing to warn men and women of coming judgment and have them reject your message. That's one thing. That's going to happen. But man, when they don't even take you seriously, what does that say about your life? See, the world doesn't have to like you, but when they don't respect you, it's probably because you've been conforming to the world for so long that one day you step out and say, judgment is coming, and they're like, who are you? Are you joking? You're just like us. Where'd you come up with this message at? See, it seems out of character. It was out of character for him to do that. He hadn't been doing it. Is it out of character for you and I? Do our co-workers, do our family members, do they respect us? Or if we finally come to them one day with that message, are they going to look at us like we're joking? Because they don't respect us. Because we, we hadn't been saying that. We've been living like them for all this time. Number five, Lot didn't want to give up the world even at the cost of his life. I read a, a gag one time about Jack Benny. I know a lot of the young people don't know who Jack Benny is, but he was a comedian, and some, he, did a, he did a gag where a guy comes up and puts a gun to his head and says, give me your money, and he hesitates. And uh, the gunman says, well, and he says, give me a minute, I'm thinking about it, right? You know, in other words, death or my money? Well, I, let me think about it. Well, that's kind of how Lot was, right? That, that's him in a nutshell. The city is about to be destroyed. The angels are trying to drag him out of the city. And he don't want to go. And you say, how can it be that way? I'll tell you how it is. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. His heart is in Sodom. 
because his treasure's in Sodom. What he values is in Sodom. He doesn't want to leave it. It's everything to him. You see, your heart always, 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 always follows your treasure. And if your treasure is in this world, you will not want to give it up. Even if, it, even if it's going to cost you your life to hang on to it, you will not want to give it up. That is a sign of conformity to the world. Number six, Lot wanted to be saved, but there were some sins he didn't want to give up. Unbelievably, you think about this. He's lingering. He don't want to leave. They have to drag him out by two angels, and they get him out of the city, and he wants to barter with them. He wants to bargain with them. He wants to keep just a little bit of his old life. They said, go to the hills. Get out of the valley, because this whole valley is going to be destroyed. Get up in the hills so you're, you're protected. And he says, no, 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 no. Hey, you see that little city over there? It's just a little city. And by the way, he says it twice. The implication being is since the town is so small, its sin can't be as bad as Sodom. It's probably just got a little sin. It's just a, it's just a little bit of the world. Let me go to that little city. And they, they let him go. And by the way, if that's what you want, God will let you go. If you want it so bad, he'll say, okay, take it. Go with it. Derek Kidner said this in his commentary on Genesis. Not even brimstone would make a pilgrim out of him. He had to have his little Sodom if life is to be supportable. In other words, to him, the idea of living in the hills, living away from the, the, the city, he couldn't even conceive of that. That was a fate worse than death. Just give me that little city. It's just a little bit of sin. Listen, you and I have the exact tendencies to do the same thing. Lord, I'll go to church Sunday. Just let me have the rest of the week. Lord, I'll give you my 10%, but let me spend the other 90 the way that I want to spend it. I'll be outwardly moral. Just let me have these little sins inside my head that nobody knows about. I'll give up Sodom. Just let me go to Zoar. Just let me have that little city. The fact is, if we're holding on to things in our life, even little things, that we are not willing to submit to, to, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then the fact is we are conforming to the world, whether we want to admit it or, or not. What's the, what's the solution? Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I tell you, how do we do that? We get in His Word. We meditate on His Word. We study His Word. We submit to His Word. The good thing that you're doing today is you're in this Bible study and you're hearing the Word. And then the Holy Spirit takes that Word and He opens our heart to receive that Word and it changes us if we're, if we're willing. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, be changed from a worldly believer into a mature spiritual believer by the renewing of your mind and you do that through the word next week we're going to finish up chapter 19 uh, there's an old adage you can take the lot out of Sodom but you can't take Sodom out of lot and what we're going to see is this lot changes locations but what's in his heart he just carries it with him and it ends up like I said we'll see he ends up living in a cave committing incest with his two two daughters the downfall of a saint. Let's pray. Father,